The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Welcome back to BioPsycho, still socially distant because the sound quality is better when we do it on Zencaster, mm. even though we're vaxxed. Yes, we're both vaxxed. We could do it in Jordan's basement, which is probably much cooler than my apartment right now. But yeah, it's like 10,000. It's like Satan said his ass crack on the earth right now. Um, oh my God, it is too hot to exist today. I literally hot. like was thinking about the errands I had to run and I was like, maybe I can wait until tomorrow and then it's going to be 95 again tomorrow. It's going to be hot until Wednesday. Yeah. I feel like there's someone listening to this in like Southern California, Arizona, who is like, seriously, that's not that hot. Yeah, but come talk to me when you have like one flake of snow on the ground and you lose your mind. I know. We have such very, especially I think all across like Mittern, 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 all across the middle of the East Coast, we get such variation in temperature right. that, ugh. and it's like kind of divided into two camps. You get like half the people that hate the heat, and the other half hate the winter. I always say I don't complain one iota when it's cold out, so I just complain all summer, all summer. Mm. I yeah, I'm only upset on the days when it's hot and humid because I that's just as bad as it snowing eight feet you know what i mean to me i'll take it's just like extreme weather i don't appreciate i don't you know it's not my favorite but you you can always bundle up and hot cocoa is delicious and it's really good with de serono pro tip um but you can you can't you can't make yourself it's harder to make yourself cooler than it is to make yourself warmer and i run really hot so i'm just and i'm heat intolerant and i live with you know my husband, who is also heat intolerant, and my cats that have fur coats on, so I feel bad for them. My girls are fine, I'm sure. I don't even know where they are at this point. They, like, hide. You know, the boys are hiding. They're hiding, like, under beds and under chairs and stuff to try to stay stay cool. And they are. Even though my, uh, my older cat, a couple of weeks ago, um, was dehydrated and had some of the early signs of heat stroke. So he had to go to the vet and get mm. IV fluids. Um, yeah, he had a fur ball hid in the bathroom, didn't eat or drink because his belly was upset. And I woke up and he was, you know, not in a good way. So I rushed him to the vet and he ended up needing IV fluids. And, you know, mommy cried more as usual. I feel like I, I've gotten so used to when Clover is in, um, when she has low sugar, mm-hmm. I get so used to like the signs and symptoms that I'm just kind of like, all right, what do we got to do? <laughs> I'm so used to seeing it now, but the first time, it's like, yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, because they like, you know, they do a 180. They are definitely not acting like themselves. And that like is really scary. And it's like, and animals are tough. It's like little, you know, it's like little, little kids. They can't tell you. Yeah, my arm hurts. Yeah. yeah, you know, they can't tell you what's wrong exactly. So that's really tough. So especially when it's hot out, um, take care of yourself, take care of other people. Offer your male person a bottle of water. Oh my God, drink, keep hydrated, drink water. Don't be drinking soda. Don't be drinking juice. Drink some water. You can drink juice. You can, juice is okay, but not caffeinated, non-alcoholic. I like those little jellies uh, when I'm running. 
my runners out there, I have a hydration pack and it's fantastic. So it's a little backpack that has a liter of fluids in it and, and a straw. A camelback, right? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, it's the knockoff that I got on Amazon for $30. Oh, 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 oh. Not prime because, you know, suck it, Jeff. I'll wait. It's fine. I think I, we have days like this and I sometimes cannot believe I worked outside all day. Yeah. In the past. Yeah. You, I can't believe that you did that either. I think we would just cut the day short and go down to the river to wade for like most of the day. And yeah, even, you would at least even our water. camp director, even our camp director was like, that's fine. Just stay in the river all day. <laughs> yeah, because nobody wants, you know, a kid keeling over in the heat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, or we would play in the mud ew. sometimes. That keeps you cool. We play. Oh, my God. What is that? I can't remember what the game is called. But we, we, oh, camouflage, it was called. And there were kids that would literally like slather themselves in mud and put like pine needles over themselves. I feel like that would make you hotter for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> like it would block your pores. It would make you hotter. It helps the hippos stay cool. And that's elephants. true. That's true. Oh, I love hippos and elephants. They make me happy. But anyway, so we did the mini hooch. Any hooch. We did a mini series on, you know, Kayla and I's thoughts on weather. So today we decided to kind of, I, I like when we do, we watch something mutual and then extract like, you know, our various thoughts and opinions and feelings out of it. So we went with Girl Interrupted, which Kayla and I both happen to have on DVD and the DVD has pills all over it. Remember DVDs? Yeah. Do you remember like the menu and you would always get the, not behind the scenes. It's like special features. Yeah. Yeah, Special features. Yes. And I remember um, the fight club DVD The menu starts out. It's like a trick. It looks like you're watching a rom-com. Oh, that's funny. I didn't re I, we have quite a collection of DVDs. My husband's a huge fan. So I don't know if we have Fight Club. I should try it. And also my cat loves the D- Trapper, loves the DVD player. He goes nuts when I open up. Really? He does. He does. And I we rarely watch DVDs. I think that's like the first time in a long time that I've watched one. I op- When I open up the tray, he like runs right over and needs to investigate. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so we both watched Girl Interrupted on DVD. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I think most people have. I mean, it came out in 1999. So yes, spoiler alert, but I mean, but not- we've had plenty of time to watch it. Yeah, it came out 20 years ago. Chill. So the plot, 1967, follows a young woman named Susanna Kaysen on her during her admission of a little less than two years in a psychiatric facility or a psychiatric hospital known as Claymore. So it's a private psychiatric hospital, not a state-run facility. So that being said, you know, it's it's a deep dive into mental health and mental illness at a time where it wasn't well understood or well treated necessarily. So, you know, just a forewarning, I guess, if you want to watch it or listen to this, if you're maybe not in a good place to watch something like that, skip it. Skip it. Or even if you are in a good place, it might drudge up some old feelings, which is sometimes, you know, it's not a bad thing to see how far you've come, but you might be, you know, you might be a crying little mess, you know, eating some smart food at the end of it, like I was maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but sometimes those those feelings are good to have. Um so we're both going to garner different things out of this. Um, I really noticed um, the huge power imbalance. 
mm-hmm. um, that was present then and is still, you know, to a degree present now in healthcare. The two most being, you know, the doctor versus the nurse versus the patient, minority versus majority, majority person. Yeah, yeah, a majority person. And also the um, healthcare inequities based on socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. Money talked a lot in this, and it was to a lot of people's detriment. So Susanna Kaysen is an upper upper class, I would say, like a lower upper class. Um, she, like upper middle class? I would say she's high. I was going to say that originally, but I feel like she's higher than middle class. I think she's wealthy, but I mm. think her parents are kind of climbers. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of uh, on the lower end of the higher class. And that's like, and then they, you know, then those are the people that you kind of like, they've got something to prove. Yes, they're keeping up with the Joneses, which was like the thing to do at that point in time. I mean, it kind of still is, but definitely back then. Sure. So Susanna's 18 years old, and she's acting like she's 18 years old. Yes. And I love when the movie starts, I'm like, I expected it to start with record scratch. Bet you're wondering how I ended up here. But then I thought like, she just she says, I was just a girl interrupted. And I was like, Oh, that's cheesy. (laughs) And that's how it opens. Eh. Also, Winona Ryder with a pixie. I'm really I'm here for it. I was back then and now obsessed with her style. It's very like, Bob Dylan androgynous. It's cute. I love it. I do too. I do too. And Winona Ryder is gorgeous. She's oh, yes. acting in the casting in this yes. movie is fantastic. Angelina Jolie, Elizabeth Moss, Brittany Murphy, God rest, Whoopi Goldberg, all fantastic in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think this is probably one of Winona's best roles. It's true. It might be one of Angelina Jolie's best roles too. Agree. Yes, I agree. And I also, I don't know why, I guess, I think I haven't seen Angelina Jolie in anything in a really long time, but I forgot how like stunningly beautiful she is. She's sexy. She's sexy as hell in this. <laughs> yeah. She's, I think this is sort of her aesthetic, like that complete, like kind of disturbed dry mm-hmm. lithium mouth. <laughs> You saw that mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like her thing. And I think she this is what she won a ton of awards for. I think she won a ton of awards for this as well. I wouldn't be surprised. As she, yeah. as she should have. She was brilliant. And even the short bang, she worked it. So so she goes to so she goes to the psych facility. And I think it was kind of screwed up the way she ended up there. She went and saw a psychiatrist that didn't know her from Adam, but was a friend of her father's. Right. Yeah, and said, well, you need a rest. Your father's a friend of mine. Your parents and I have talked about it. Mm-hmm. And they put her in a cab and sent her to a psych facility. Also, if you're worried about a person, why are you putting them in a cab by themselves? Right? And this is following her, well, it's a suicide attempt. It and was- she keeps insisting, and I, I think it's important that in the beginning she keeps on insisting, like, I just took a few aspirin. I just wasn't feeling well. I just, it's not a big deal. I had a headache. So what are your thoughts on that um, when people kind of use that as a, is that is that a common thing? What do you mean? So my thoughts on what specifically? So her saying her, is she in denial? Was she truly not, do you think she was truly trying to kill herself or was she... I didn't really think about that too much while I was watching it. I think it's so I I agree with throughout the movie. People tell Susanna, like, you're not crazy. And I I have thoughts on that that I'll get to later. But Mm -hmm. like, 
I think she is relatively high function compared to the other people in the institution. Yeah. But I do think to some degree she has enough of an illness that clouds her judgment, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That does in the make beginning. sense. Yeah, she's definitely has some sort of mental illness, but I don't think she's the gravely disabled no. person that should be admitted to a psych facility for two years, which we don't see very often. No. Well, insurance uh, won't cover that. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that. Um, And I think she's, it's not that, I think what got her to the facility, which was very bothersome to me, was that uh, she was embarrassing her parents. Yes, that's that's 100% what it was. And that's, so there's a a part where she says, she has like this flashback to sitting with her high school guidance counselor, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, she says like, she says to Susanna, you're, you have the honor of being the only graduating senior not going to college. And she's, she's, Susanna says, like, I just don't want to end up with like my mother. And the guidance counselor says, well, women today have more choices than that. And Susanna goes, no, they don't. And I think it's really important. Another important, important point, right? Mm -hmm. Over and over and over again, we hear in the movie that Susanna is promiscuous. And it's like, she's 18. (laughs) She's interested in people. She makes out with them. She has sex with them. She's not promiscuous. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like she's sleeping with a different person every five minutes here in a way that in a way that puts herself or someone else at risk Mm -hmm. you know that's first of all that was more of a a concern diagnostically than it is now but I think that part of the reason why that keeps getting brought up is that she's punished for being a woman who has sex essentially and that's why she says no women don't have more choices nowadays like it's not different like you say it is you know it's true and I think, like, it's not that she was promiscuous. She slept with a friend of her father's. Yes. Which. And that was a big piece of it, too. Right, she, she didn't even, like, no, she, it was like just kind of like an impulsive thing. spur of the moment. Yeah. And then he and wanted he, part two. And she was and like, she was like no, yeah, I'm, I'm all set. I'm good. No, thank <laughs> you. But, again, that was, you know, that was a, you know, it was an impulsive choice. He definitely had the upper hand. She was 18. He was what? In his late forties, early fifties. Yeah. And a professor. Yeah. So, you know, it's that, you know, it's a power imbalance. It's, it's a huge power imbalance. It kind of reminded me in, now this is a vague memory for me because I watched it a long time ago, but in American Horror Story Asylum, Mm -hmm. Chloe Sevigny's character is labeled as a nymphomaniac because she is a woman who has sex. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And people yeah. don't like that. Yeah. yeah. Like so, that. I mean, and that, that I think takes place even earlier in the timeline than this does. It's true. Well, even look in the, fam- I've kind of like retroactively like looked back on this because I was a kid at the time. Bill Clinton had an affair with Monica Lewinsky. She was 20 goddamn two years old and he was the president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was such, like, I don't, because I was, you know, I was what, six or seven and didn't have the comprehension. I'm in my thirties now. And I think back to where I was mentally and emotionally at 22. Oh yeah. At the leader of the free world. Yeah. It's completely, it's completely inappropriate. Um, you know, I'm not saying that she was, you know, you know, that she's helpless and can't, you know, care for herself, but yeah, she made an impulsive choice, which, you know, that's the whole point of being 18 is to be really impulsive, but she kind of like went back and was like, Hey, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not doing that again. And he definitely got pissed and spilled the beans to her parents. 
So thus she got thrown away into a psychiatric hospital, which probably happened more often for sexual reasons than we'd like oh, yeah. to think about. So we get in and she meets the patients and Val, who is my fave. I know. I forgot Whoopi was in this. Whoopi was brilliant in this. And this is, I got to say, an amazing portrayal of a psych nurse. Yeah, I agree. This is a psych nurse through and through. She has good boundaries. She's even tempered. She's authentic. Nothing rattles her. That's like a psych nurse. That's like, those are the psych nurses that I know and that I love, you know. And And I think... There's a point where Susanna's trying to be antagonistic, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, you're. What well, do you think? You're a doctor now because you're saying all of these things." Yeah. And it's like, "Well, she almost has more authority to be saying those things because she's boots on the ground yep. with these folks, versus you know the person who sees them for one hour once a week." And that was like my big. That was a big thing for me in this movie. Is Val was the one that was the most introspective to Susanna. She's like, "You're not mm-hmm. nuts." Do you have some shit going on? Yes. Is it worse from you being here? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, she was way more, um, yeah, she was made more introspective on her diagnosis. And she also recognized Susanna's privilege because uh, there was a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of privilege in this movie. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of healthcare disparities. Anyway, so, Su- yeah, Susanna being really antagonistic toward her, um, Valerie is a woman of color and the patients would use that against her. You're just a black, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just a black nurse. Um, She's a single mom. She's, and she probably was. Yeah. She probably worked night school, you know, and Susanna said this, you know, to try to demean her. Oh, you're, you know, you just went through night school and you're a nurse now, you know, you just pretend that you're Mm -hmm. a doctor, but it's true. Nurses wield, they know these patients, you know, we know the patients Mm -hmm. through and through. Um, and the doctor's right. They, you know, they kind of are tunneled on diagnoses and people will say that nurses treat people, doctors treat diseases. And that's just the nature of, that's the nature of nursing versus the nature of medicine. It's just a different form. And we need both. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but for a while in medicine, the value of nursing was not valued. It wasn't, it was dismissed. Back in this era, like, and I know this from, I did quantify it. I looked in articles, but I also, you know, know nurses that were nurses in this era. Some of my professors and some older nurses. Mm-hmm. If a doctor walked into the nurse's station, you stood up. If they needed a chair, yeah. you moved. You know what? I work with some boomers and I'm not trying to say that condescendingly. No, 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 That's just no. the generation they're from yeah. that, you know, the doctor speaks and they're like, oh, well, the doctor said, I'm like, well, he's wrong. And they're like, what? Right. <laughs> you know. And that's and that's like a, and that's a huge thing. And that was the thing for the longest time. And I was just reading, I have the article in front of me. It was from the American Journal of Infection Control. Um, I was reading it in a journal club, and it is not from that long ago. 2019, it was published. And it was published in Greece, which um as a society, it, it was cited in this article, is a lot more patriarchal than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The nursing ratios are some of the worst in the European Union. And they were doing um, research on bundling central line kits. So what that means is when you access a port, that little nubbin that's in people's chest that you give chemotherapy through, it's like a it goes right into the heart. It's a central line. You can give IV fluids. Ke- All right. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it needs to be sterile because you're going, you're basically accessing something that's heading to somebody's heart. Um, I'm doing, I'm doing God's work for all of the listeners who are also very squeamish here. Bless you. So having a bundle where all of your sterile things are on one field is a a lot easier, first of all, because I've done it without a bundle and I've done it with a bundle and you're at less of a risk of infection. So this study showed that having the bundle and not having a bundle didn't make a huge difference. But the big difference was nurses were not allowed to interrupt the doctor saying that they broke sterile field. That's huge. Oh my God. So that you basically can't tell the doctor that they were doing anything wrong. Right. So, and any healthcare workers out there with a sterile field, you know how easy it is to break a sterile field and you don't notice it sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, your hand could bump up against something slightly and you don't even feel it. And then Mm -hmm. somebody, you know, and then it's happened to me where my, you know, my colleague walked by and went, you just bumped your hand and I'll go, shit, thank you. Can you open me another kit? It happens. I don't take it personally. It's thanks. I didn't feel that. Yeah, um, thank God you said something thank God so you that said this something. can be good catch. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they weren't and I know that and I know that kits just from my person just from experience. I know kits help keep a sterile field and others and I'm I can't say that other studies have because I didn't look for any, but it's huge that the study showed that, you know, that the study thought it was worth mentioning that the doctors um, were not allowed to be interrupted by the nurses. So the doctors could be doing something completely dangerous and the nurses can't say anything Mm -hmm. or didn't even see it because their ratios were so terrible and the doctors were doing um, the, the procedure unassisted. By the way, nurses access ports in America, no need to fear. So, so that really, so that really struck me. And I feel like if Val's opinion was valued more and, or even just taken into consideration or asked, Mm -hmm. she, uh, I don't think Susanna would have been there for two years and everything kind of got pushed off onto the doctor. The med nurse was first of all, forcing the forcing Susanna to take meds, which is not, Okay, in most situations, there are situations meds against will where someone's not in the right frame mm-hmm. of mind and they're a danger mm-hmm. to themselves and other people. But yeah, she, she didn't want to take a colace, which which I'm saying, which for some psychotropic meds you should really be on a bowel regimen. Mm-hmm. Also, colace isn't a laxative. That did bother me. Um, it's a softener. <laughs> <laughs> they should have hired me. What when you were like eight? <laughs> Yes, I could have read a bottle of colace and said this is a stool softener. Anyway, that is my that is my only angry nurse thing for this movie. It was awesome. Um, so everyone well, was put. And up. also, yeah. also, I think it's important to note that this was all. So now, when you go to the hospital, first, like I said before, insurance wouldn't allow a long stay in a hospital like this. So mm-hmm. everything has to be okayed through insurance. So say you know, you have uh, some sort of a crisis and, <clears throat> excuse me, you put you in the hospital and then they're like, okay, well, you need to stay for a week. We're going to have you do some intensive programs or two weeks or whatever. If they want you to stay any longer than that, they have to have back and forth with the insurance and they have to justify it. Yeah. Because in the United States, insurance does not want to pay for that. So if you want to know how fucked up our healthcare system is, we can start, I mean, we can start in a lot of places, but we can start there. Mm-hmm. So this, in at this period of time, would have been, I think, all private pay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was all. Um, they- so this is also a money-making scheme in a way, you know, and, and and it's terrible to put it that way, but it was. It happened a lot. 
Well, they even verbalize. So when the um, patients all like kind of, remember they went all busted out of their rooms to go bowl in the basement. Um, yes. Cynthia, who's, um, who's uh, the woman who was, I think in there because she was a lesbian, which happened. Which yes. Was fucked up. Yes. W- picked the lock. And one of the other patients, I think it was Janet who had an eating disorder. She said, this is what happens now that we have a sliding scale. Mm. We're here with the riffraff that can pick locks. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a private pay facility, but they, you know, probably to get some sort of funding, they took a few sliding scale patients. So for those of you who aren't in the healthcare field, private pay means everything is out of pocket. Yep. And sliding scale is based on your yearly income. So you can pay as, as little as I think five or 10% up to all the way to a hundred percent. Right. So yeah, so it has to do with sliding scale. And you see that in a you know, you see a lot of healthcare worker, a lot of healthcare, a lot of mental health workers will do a sliding scale uh, because mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do. And um, and yeah, so it's except for yeah. the ones that are apparently charging seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour. But that's a topic for another. Time. That's another story for another day. Because what the hell are you doing that you think you're worth seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour? Um, <laughs> because I don't know. I did notice the the younger nurse, she didn't have very good boundaries. Oh, yes. And I think it was really important that she had that. I said that a lot. I think it's really important. So I think it's of note that she had this interaction specifically with Lisa, who was played by Angelina Jolie, because she's diagnosed as a sociopath in the film. And people with personality disorders often have difficulties maintaining boundaries in general. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to antisocial personality disorder or sociopathy, everything is done for your own personal gain. Yep. So who gives a shit about boundaries? Who gives a shit about laws? Who gives a shit about values? Who gives a shit about morals? As long as I can get something out of this interaction. Which I think Angelina Jolie um, portrayed that beautifully. She did. Yes, she did. But so shame on that nurse. She was young. She was young and she will learn. But man, she didn't have good boundaries. And in that setting, in that psych setting, yeah, Val's Val. Yeah. Look at the juxtaposition between Val and Margie. They're she's yeah. yeah. So Margie's sharing details of like her wedding planning and all that. Her sex life, which is not something you no, should ever be sharing no, 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 with no, no, your no. patients. Don't and, do that. And uh, Val's, I think the most she goes into, um, she has self-disclosure is that she has kids. She has two kids in one bathroom, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Has someone ever watched you shave your legs? I got two kids in one bathroom, which was basically like, shut the fuck up. Stop whining. So that was, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was a big thing for me that I noticed. And then there was the nurse that they drugged, which is so crazy. That's wild. I ca- I was thinking about her after they drugged her. I'm like, what if that was me? And I woke up and I was like, wait a minute, what happened to the last four hours? And I think that's what happened. I Yeah, and that's why they ended up, uh, so Lisa and Suzanne uh, tried to sneak out. I think it was one of the other patients had a psychotic episode and they wanted to sing to her, which... I mean, 
They were trying to, I think they were trying to be a little bit more empathetic than the system was because this was back yeah. in the time still of padded rooms and straight jackets and things like that. Correct. So rather than doing something like an expressive arts activity, like music therapy or art therapy, they just kind of locked, it was Polly, they locked her yep, up in yeah. a padded room. Yeah. And our other friend, I don't know her name. I just know her as Peppermint Clit. Um, they put her in a <laughs> That's me. <laughs> You're not Peppermint Clit. Um, she, uh, she's the one who, so Susanna, unfortunately, sleeps with Jared Leto. Which, which is, I, a, I, I do too. I do too. And he tells her, like, after they sleep together, that what his birthday is, because it's around the time of drafting for the Vietnam War. And they're watching TV. <laughs> yes, they're watching TV and they're reading birth dates, which is what happened yep. at that point in time. And, our friend is going, bingo, bingo. bingo. <laughs> it's like, that's me. Yeah. Did you ever, um, did you ever look up your birthday on the draft number to see if you would have? Yes. Been, yeah, I have to. I don't remember if I would have been drafted or not, but I remember I, anytime it's like, oh, your birthday. I'm like, oh, when's mine? Yeah. Yes, I'm a Leo. So. <laughs> I'm a Leo. It's about, it's about me. Oh, Jared Leto. He is, if Hey There Delilah was a person. That song, hey, what do you mean? if that song, hey, there Delilah, oh, like that. was a person, it'd be him. Oh, because it's like creepy and stalkerish. Yeah. Mm, yeah. He's a fucking weirdo. I don't like Jared Leto. No. Leto, Leto, whatever. Not important enough to remember. But anyway, but anyway, yeah. So I want to talk about Daisy. Mm, which one is Daisy? Brittany Murphy. Brittany. Brittany. Oh, Brittany Murphy. I love her so much. Pour one out. We should do an episode on Brittany Murphy. We should also do one on Britney Spears. We should just do Britney the miniseries. Anyway, <laughs> how's that for a power imbalance? So yeah. she is probably, besides Lisa, the most mentally unstable person there, and she's getting discharged. Mm-hmm. She's had- because? Because daddy won. Well, her father is paying for everything. Her father is absolutely sexually abusing her. Mm-hmm. And her father, I'm sure, is paid for her to get her own apartment, even though the psychiatrist thought she should go to a halfway house. Mm-hmm. And um, and her father's like, yep, yeah, she's fine. She can go. So I think he just wants more access to access her. to yeah. her right yep. exactly and she has an, a type of eating disorder so yeah. she only eats so he has a deli and he brings her roast rotisserie chicken and that's all she'll eat yep which isn't necessarily anorexia or bulimia but it is a type of like res- mm, avoidant eating disorder almost yeah. she also if you notice there's a point where she arranges the bones yep in a very specific way and I mean, we could talk a lot about, you know, if, if she is being sexually abused by her father, we could talk about uh, how that's a trauma reaction yep. because it probably is. And it was right after um, her father had visited her because her, did you notice this? Her little trinket was turned away. What do you mean? That's a thing. So when Susanna walks into her room. <gasps> oh, yes. So when Su- I do yeah. know. Okay. Her doll- yeah, yeah, I didn't. I thought she was going to. So I thought. I thought there. Okay, so yes, Jordan is talking about um, Susanna goes into her room and there's a little cat figurine that's turned towards the wall, and Susanna like very nervously and awkwardly like turns it so it's facing the right way. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to say something about that because I thought they were alluding to like maybe some ob- obsessive compulsive 
piece, but that makes a lot more sense. No, I, I think I read that. I heard that in like the special features or something. That's something that young women used to do. They would turn mm-hmm. their trinkets away if they were doing something sexual in the room so they wouldn't have to see it. Or they would turn, I mean, still, right? People who are sexually abused, they turn photos away so that the people no. in the photos don't have to see it. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a very good point too. Yeah, because she had a fresh chicken because her father, I'm sure mm-hmm. her brother, father sexually abused her and gave her her chicken. Uh, Which, yeah. did they, the fucking people there know that was happening? What the fuck? Did they not care because he was giving them money? He was paying, yeah, private pay, private room. It was basically like sex work. Sex trafficking. Yeah, basically, he had her locked up in a room, and she wouldn't go anywhere else. But, you know, she was like, you know, Melvin, the psychiatrist, who's, you know, Jeffrey Tambor, ew, um, (laughs) thought I should go to a halfway house. Then she, like, snickers, well, my father knew I deserved my own apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, and then Lisa and Suzanne leave the facility, find where Daisy lives, go to her house, and Lisa basically just says... We know you're being sexually, you know, I know you're being sexually abused by so your she, yeah. yeah. So she's the diagnosed sociopath, like yep. I said before. Yep. And she has a very sociopathic episode mm-hmm. that I think, I think that's the point at which Susanna recognizes there's something really wrong with her. Uh-huh. Because the things that she says are very cruel. Yeah. And are meant to antagonize and haven't have a specific outcome. Yep. So she's she's not just like we know your father is sexually abusing you. She's she says it in a very nasty way. Yep. Yeah. And Susanna like you know her body recoils. She's like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, she What's was, wrong with you? Yeah, you know. Shut up, shut the f up, you know. She was Daisy goes upstairs and ends her life. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean, the reaction that the juxtaposition between Susanna's oh, reaction yeah. where she collapses in tears and immediately calls the ambulance service. Sure. I don't think 911 was a thing back then, but, and Lisa rummages through her pockets and Susanna says, come on, like you said these things to her and this is why she did that. Mm-hmm. And Lisa's response is, oh, she was just waiting for an excuse. I gave it to her. Yeah. Or she was even a, like the thing that made me physically react was Susanna was sobbing into the phone saying, I need an ambulance. And Lisa very flatly goes, or a hearse. Yep. Make it a hearse. No I was, emotion. Like, I and know. It, oof. She goes straight into her pockets to see how much money she has. Mm-hmm. Susanna, the cat that she has, the little kitty Ruby. that her dad had bought her, Ruby, mm-hmm. she clings to that thing all the way back to the institution mm-hmm. like she's so distraught yeah that's like that was that scene was like the one where i was i was bawling just her clinging mm-hmm. to that little kitty cat you know it's just like so yeah it's a very human reaction yeah yeah she you know and she um and she hung herself which is seeing a body swing has to be the most i i couldn't even imagine mm-hmm. jarring and she she blames herself too. Yeah. She gets back and Val is consoling her. And she said, I could have, and she, Val says to her, what could you have said to her? What would you have said to her? Which mm-hmm. is such good therapy, which is, by yeah, the way. Yeah. She was brilliant. She was, she was like, brilliant. what would you have said to her? And she said, I don't know. I could have gone upstairs. See if she was okay. Tell her I'm sorry. But, but she you know, wasn't going to sit up there all night. You know, it's right. And that's, I think that's why Val asks her that is like, 
how, how do we know that you could have changed the outcome? No, you know, and she still would have felt this way mm-hmm. regardless. And it was, you know, Lisa pushed her over the edge. Absolutely. Lisa pushed her over the edge and she did so with malice intent, but she was in such an unsafe setting. She was, mm. she was basically in a cage for her abuser. I wonder, cause I remember when, what's the doctor's name? Dr. Melvin or Dr. Wick? Melvin. Melvin. So I remember when he comes to the scene oh. and he's picking up Susanna and he's got this look on his face like, oh, shit. Yeah. But because I was thinking about that in terms of liability, but he, they left, I think, against medical advice. I didn't. Or even- did they openly release her? I don't know. Because he said she needs to go in a halfway house. She can't just be on her own. I think I, I actually wrote a note on that as well. His like whole face was mm-hmm. when he saw Daisy's body get rolled out. She was under, you know, under a sheet. He just like the gravity of it, the gravity of it hit him. I think it was more he and what I think probably happened was, you know, was her father was an abuser, was an abuser. So he was charming. He was charismatic. He yes. was, oh, not a problem. You can make house call, you know, come to the house and see her anytime. You know, I, you know, I just want her to have her own space. And I think, I mean, maybe this is us yeah. projecting because yeah. it's not like they went into it at all, but I'm thinking maybe no. he just, it's just, again, that very yeah. human reaction of like, yeah. this is terrible. Yeah. And it's that, you know, I should have done more. I could have, you know, yes. you know, and it could have been just the gravity of it all just kind of coming down on him. Like, holy, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the, the holy shit. And he should feel responsible because I'm sure he was, you know, trying to placate her father. Mm-hmm. Because even when Daisy was getting discharged, like everybody was like, why is she, she shouldn't be leaving. Yes. Who's the, the one that says she gets mad and she's like, why does she get to home- go home? 74 is the perfect weight. Janet, she has anorexia. Yeah, and Lisa says she's crazy. How can you, how can you be a tree on the ground? I'm a fucking bush, okay? <laughs> I'm a fucking shrub. Okay. I, I, I loved the performances in this. In the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just... Because they were authentic. And I think that was the point of it. These are people. These are people with illnesses and flaws, but they're not their disease. They're... It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's just speaking of, yeah. shall I go a little bit into Susanna's diagnosis? Do it. Because I don't agree with it. But I don't either. That, that being said, okay, so Susanna is uh, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So this takes place in the late 1960s. And at this point in time, we were either s- still dealing with the first edition of the DSM or we were just in the second edition of the DSM. So very early on. DSM, of course, stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health or Mental Illness, I think. But I noticed that when they're in the doctor's office, she pulls the first edition off the shelf. Mm -hmm. So I think they're still working on the first. Yeah, I think they're still working on the first one. So anyways, um, from VeryWellMind.com, the term borderline was first introduced in the United States in 1938. It was a term used by early psychiatrists to describe people who thought who were thought to have a tendency to regress into borderline schizophrenia in certain situations. I think in general, the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, especially, excuse me, were like the dawn of modern treatment for mental illness. So this was when we first start to see uh, psychotropic treatment mm-hmm. as it is now. This is the first time we start to see like separate 
institutions for people with mental illness rather than like grouping them in with prisoners or just like throwing them in homes, although that was still happening. Um, it was really the dawn of all of this modern treatment. I mean, evidence-based practice wasn't necessarily a thing. I mean, they had like the psychoanalytic theory a la Freud, mm-hmm. of course, but we weren't like, oh, I'm going to use cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm going to use, you know, uh, this, that, and the other thing because they hadn't been developed yet really mm-hmm. or tested or anything like that. So Wikipedia says the 60s and 70s saw a shift from thinking of the condition as borderline schizophrenia to thinking of it as borderline affective disorder, so a mood disorder. Okay. On the fringes of bipolar disorder, cyclothymia, which is like baby bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and dysthymia, which is low-grade depression. In the DSM-2, stressing the intensity and varied variability of moods, it was called cyclothymic personality or affective personality. Mm-hmm. Back to Very Well Mind, which says it wasn't until 1979 that psychoanalysts like Otto Kernberg defined borderline as a middle level of personality organization between psychosis and neurosis. Now, back then, neurosis was like a a condition that could be treated Mm -hmm. and potentially recovered from, and psychosis was a condition that could not. Really? So it wasn't, yeah. So someone who had a neurosis might have anxiety or depression. People with BPD were described as having, quote, primitive psychological defenses, such as splitting. Mm-hmm. Jordan, what's splitting? Oh, splitting. Um, <laughs> it exhausts your friendly neighborhood nurse. Um, so it's when you pit the other people against each other, usually for your mm-hmm. own benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and projective identification. Now, so I, I mean, it could be that she was diagnosed based on that definition, mm-hmm. which is di- very different than it than nowadays where borderline personality disorder is very, very big jumps. Like people with BPD feel feelings very intensely. Mm-hmm. So there's very extreme highs and lows. And there's a, it's characterized a lot by a fear of abandonment. And often folks with this disorder or this personality disorder will do whatever they have to do to prevent a person from leaving. So that could be a threat of harming themselves or attempting suicide mm-hmm. It could be an attempt to harm another person, uh, could be lying, you know, whatever, whatever you have. And they, they have very, uh, there's a lot of difficulty with personal identity. So they'll, I'm this, this, I'm this person this day and this person the next day in terms of like, I don't know. I always think of it like the way you present yourself to the world. So it's not necessarily like, you know, dissociative identity disorder, but more of like, Today, I'm like when I was a teenager and I was like, today I'm emo and tomorrow I'm indie. (laughs) It's more like that. Yes. Relatable. So like almost like a teenager. And the splitting is like you said, you know, pitting two people against each other. But it's also this in interpersonal relationships, extreme, you kind of like put people on pedestals and then the next day you completely devalue them. So they're either the best person in the world or they're the fucking devil. Um, It's, it's, I, I have told people it's like being on Mr. Bones wild ride. (laughs) It's, it feels, it feels like a roller coaster Mm -hmm. to be around someone with this disorder. And I think what's misunderstood about it a lot of the time is that it it comes from usually complex trauma in childhood because a personality disorder crops up when your personality is being formed. So if you're dealing with, say, abuse during childhood, you have all of these maladaptive coping skills that eventually solidify into your personality. And that's what ends up being the personality disorder. Good point. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Anyways, all that to say, I don't think Susanna <laughs> is a borderline personality disorder. I agree. I think I think she either has mild depression or maybe bipolar disorder. I think that's a fair assumption. I took po- I took issue with them diagnosing her with a personality disorder in her teens. Yes, that's another thing is that we usually don't diagnose until someone reaches the age of 18. And even then it's a little iffy because personality is still forming. Yes, personality still forms until you're about 26 years old. So even in the early 20s can be a little iffy. But in my experience, signs start to show in the late teens. So you you can be like, "Mm, uh." so it's it's kind of like a parsing out, though. Like, is this a personality disorder? Is this just a teenager? (laughs) Right. I think and I I would be it's interesting. I think I'm leaning more towards the diagnosis of depression because she was falling asleep places. Yes. Yes. And there was a lot of self-blame. Yep. There was a lot of looking back on the past, thinking, mm-hmm. did I do the right thing? Mm-hmm. The reason I said bipolar disorder and maybe even a... Like a hypomanic type deal. Hypomanic because she there was some impulsivity. But again, she was 18. She was... Yeah, that's... Yeah. So we're all impulsive when we're teenagers. So if you're, by the way, if you're listening to my rundown of BPD and you're thinking, I was like that when I was 16, so is everybody. That's why we don't diagnose in teens. Right. That is half the fun of being a teenager. Being on a fucking roller coaster all the time, even well into your early 20s, you know, it's normal to have that experience. It's just part of, it's just part of coming of age. It's, you know, if you're in your 40s and still doing it, you should see somebody. Not us. I, yeah, no, no, we're not, we're not, we're healthcare professionals. We're not your healthcare professionals. Again, I actually think, so again, spoiler alert, but you've had since 1999 to watch this. Yes. At the very end, it seems to me like Lisa has a borderline episode where she finds out that Susanna is being discharged mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's like you see something click in her head where she's like, oh, Okay. And the wheels start to turn of like, how can I prevent this from happening? How can I make her have like a, a setback in her treatment so she has to stay? That's she was trying, yeah, trying to steal her date. It's yeah, well, it's not. I didn't, I didn't take it as like she's jealous. I took it as like she doesn't want to let go of her. Right. You know, she was trying to steal her date, which I learned from Orange Is the New Black. Oh yes, mm-hmm. which she wouldn't have been able to do anyways. Like Val says, she's been here for eight years. No, steal or date, which means they she has a date uh, to get out of, when you say steal somebody's date in the terms of uh, the prison system, they have a date to get discharged. They do something so they can't get released. Oh, I thought you meant to like, so you get out sooner. No, than no, no, no. It's not. No, you're just dragging somebody down with you. I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was very easily able to manipulate her. Yeah. And we see that we see that throughout the film as well mm-hmm. is that first of all, I mean, if she is a sociopath, it's very easy to be drawn into that. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with somebody who happens to be in that situation. But there's there's even a point where they're in that van, remember, on their way to like a party or something. Yeah. And she kisses Lisa. And I took I took that as part of that, like being sucked into that personality, if that makes sense. Yeah, she's magnetic. And we knew that. I took it as, well, also, Lisa doesn't want to get discharged. She is somebody in that facility. Yes. When she is, when she escapes, she ends up, she ends up in sex work. Um, She ends up in, Lisa ends up in sex work. She was, she verbalized that to Susanna. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, um, you know, she was trying to get, you know, she was trying to get more money. So she was exchanging money for sexual acts, you know, which if sex, if the sex industry is your bag, do it. But it doesn't sound like that's something she wants to do. <laughs> I think it was more of survival sex work. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, so as much as Lisa tries to run away, she always gets brought back. Mm-hmm. And I think she's fine with getting brought back. Because she has a position of power. She has power over the other patients. She has power over some of the staff. Do you think Lisa, do you think Lisa's ever discharged from the facility? I don't know. That's a good question. Because nowadays, mm, I don't know about antisocial personality disorder is not really very treatable. But Mm -hmm. like, if she, if she, let's say she was borderline and said that's there, it's very treatable nowadays. It is. Um, With very specialized care ongoing. Mm Yeah, with modern medicine, she would have been probably fine. If she's a sociopath, then she's probably just going to keep going back there. Yeah, unfortunately. And got and, and you know what? Not hurt anybody? Yeah, I mean that's it's probably for the best. Is it, that's a very controversial opinion. So you know, take it as you will. But um, not saying everybody that gets diagnosed should automatically like be locked up somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the probability of them harming another person is. Not necessarily physically, but could be financially, emotionally, whatever, mm-hmm. is, is fairly high. Um, and sociopaths, like she says, are very rare anyways. Right. Also, healthcare facilities should not be shitty places. <laughs> yes. There's that. So it's like kind of like, it's like an allegory of how far we've come and how far we have still to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We've definitely improved as a society. Is there still a gross healthcare you know, imbalance that favors wealthier people. This was the good psych hospital. And Val even verbalizes that. She goes, I've worked in state institutions. This place is a pleasure cruise. And it is. It is. Mm-hmm. The staff is treated with, you know, the staff treats the patient, it basically treats the patients with respect. Everybody is safe for the, yeah, for the, you know, for the most part, it's a decent facility. Nobody is abused. You know, is the care the best? The care is the care is a reflection of the time in which it was in. Mm, yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, this period of time actually, um, I think it's really interesting that they. Well, I don't want to say be, that they said it. This is when it happened to Susanna Kaysen, right. the actual the person who wrote this memoir mm-hmm. that the movie is based on. But it wasn't until soldiers came back from the Vietnam War that we started recognizing post traumatic stress disorder. Really. That was like not, I mean, it was a thing before mm-hmm. then, of course, but we would call it like shell shock. Yeah. Or something like that. They're a little nervous. It was this group of individuals who, you know, in the 70s, when we started seeing the repercussions of being in that situation and psychiatry was in such a place where people were like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And it was too large of a group of people to ignore. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which and they've yeah, not getting the help out of that. They've developed some really solid treatment strategies, which is good. Right. We have to work on access. Yes, but absolutely. Yeah. So and stigma, especially in the military. Oh, cor- oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in in healthcare. I've seen the improvement in in nursing. There would be way more dialogue between provider and nurse. Which is, you know, which betters both parties, you know, both have something else to offer. Um, So a cohesive unit, like kind of like an apples and oranges make a delicious fruit salad type deal, Um, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, two siloed bodies, you know, that's just not healthy. And it's not really the best thing for the patient either. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what's my huge takeaway from it. Um, 
And I think it, just in general, adding more of a human aspect instead of looking at everything so clinically, mm-hmm. I think I had made a note that like, well, we kind of talked about it that, you know, Susanna was diagnosed and shipped off because she was like an embarrassment, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. it almost seemed like there was this need to pathologize everything. Right. That was normal behavior mm-hmm. um, just because you were a little quote unquote different. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays we we have a much more human approach. I mean, I know in counseling and social work and psychology, you know, there are methods of human first, you know, there's this is her person in front of you first before yeah. they're a diagnosis, they're a person. Right. And um, you really have to get to know them and uh, get to know why they're in the situation that they're in and what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't, you know, just because somebody comes into your, you know, if you're a cardiologist, somebody comes into your office because they have high blood pressure, you can't ignore the fact that they're missing a leg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just have to look at, you have to look at the person, you have to look at the person in front of you. Frankly, I think if this happened now, Susanna could have done intensive outpatient and then had weekly therapy and a nice round of medication. We didn't even touch on the medication in this movie is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. This was back when and this was, you know, in many facets, this isn't just in the psychiatric uh, realm. People were just, the choices of medication were limited. You kind of just got the same thing as everybody else. And it was back in the days of like tricyclic antidepress- uh-huh. antidepressants, which have so many side effects mm-hmm. that they're still used, but they're like one of the last lines of defense right. against like re- treatment resistant depression and things like that. And I think uh, Lisa mentions that at one point, electroconvulsive therapy, Mm -hmm. um, which is, again, still used, but nowadays... Come a long way. First of all, it is only, again, only used for treatment-resistant depression, and it's like the last thing before you try a million other things. Mm -hmm. And second, there's a lot of informed consent, you know, so you you would say to the patient that X, Y, and Z could happen. Are you okay with that? And they could say yes or no. And it's only done, I think, at a maximum twice a year. Mm-hmm. Cause it causes memory loss and stuff like yes. that. But back then it was just kind of like, all right, let's put well, you in for ECT. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's shock you. And yeah, like it's in, and for some people it works and gives them a better quality of life because mm-hmm. they're so righteously depressed to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they need it. So it's just, it's amazing to see like, this is within, within our parents' lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild. And another thing, I mean, to, just to go back and how far we've gone about medication. So we've gone from those medications, those archaic medications yeah. with all the side effects, to nowadays, we're using a type of ketamine to treat depression. Depression. Ooh. So esketamine yeah. is a type of uh, medication that can work to treat symptoms of depression in 20 minutes. But it has to be done by someone who has a lot of training, a doctor who has a lot of training, and you also have to hang out. So like you're given the dose and then you have to hang out like in the waiting room for an hour or something like that to make sure you're okay. It's very monitored, but it's been approved for use in treatment resistant depression. Really? Mm -hmm. It's called S-ketamine. That's like a last resort in the palliative care hospice world. If you have somebody that's in agony and not Mm -hmm. responding to any sort of um, any sort of analgesic. That makes sense. I mean, it's, isn't it a veterinary drug? I don't know. Um, I know it's highly controversial. Yes. Of um, course. Yeah. I've only had to same, yeah. same thing with using psychedelics to treat like trauma and stuff like that. Well, everything's controversial, I guess. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, so that wild ride was girl interrupted. I think that we had a brilliant conversation about it. So what are we doing instead of a random question today? Uh, so instead of a random question, we're going to, what did you say? Like put a thing in a thing? <laughs> so Jordan and I decided we want to have some theme parties this summer. Yes. And so we came up with a list last night and I'm putting it into a random choice generator. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pick which one we're going to do first. Perfect. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So our first theme party is 80s party. Oh, 80s prom. We want to do 80s prom. 80s prom, which was my 21st birthday party. And it was very so fun. I'm, I'm ready. I remember you went to the liquor store. No, you didn't go to the liquor store because you were 20. Yep. But you went somewhere dressed up in your 80s outfit. I, well, I went to, I went to the grocery store and I also, first we had to go pick somebody up and I went to Cumberland Farms, use the bathroom. That's what it was. And forgot yeah. to take my lace gloves off when I was washing my hands. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm excited. We should go prom dress shopping together. That would be so At fun. Goodwill. Yes. They should call it Great Will. Great Will. Yes. So we leave you with watch good movies from the late 90s. Have lovely theme parties with your friends. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BiopsychPod and on Facebook at Biopsychosocial, a podcast. Yes. Be excellent to each other and stay hydrated. Yes. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.